Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, today is Thursday morning. I'm a little running behind schedule, but I'm going to try to do the Haftarah podcast now. Today's podcast is being sponsored by... Uh, my friends, the Noodlemans, Richard Noodleman, who in, in the yard site for his great grandfather, Rafal Ben Moshevitz, yard site was yesterday. I wanted to do this yesterday, not too much work. And he tells me that his great grandfather emigrated from Russia to Mexico City 100 years ago. Think about that. And opened the retail store and was observant in Mexico. That's very rare. I have a brother in law. Uh, from Mexico City. They live in Yerushalayim for many decades. And their parents also go back 100 years ago. Same thing. And uh, these are the people who started the Jewish community, the Kehillah, in Ashkenaz Kehillah, in Mexico. And uh, since certain generation, most of us don't know anything about it. If Richard is right, say this guy kept his Shomer Shabbos in Mexico, that's remarkable. That's remarkable. So we pay tribute to memory to Shomer Shabbat and then we'll get down to business. Appreciate the sponsorship. Today's uh, Haftarah is a difficult one. I'll tell you what I mean. There are two types of Haftarahs out there. Uh, sometimes, all the Haftarahs come from Nevi'im, correct? Not from Torah, not from Kisubim. They'll come from Nevi'im. And there are two parts of Nevi'im, A and B. One is um, the narrative books, Yeshua Shoftim Shum Malachim, and the others are not. Now, Yeshua Shoftim Shum Malachim are just stories. So, for example, last week we had about David and Joab. It's a story. Many people don't know the Tanakh well, but it's not hard to uh, explicate. But, uh, right? So you have many of those. Anything that uh, Haftarah comes from, Yeshua or Shmuel or something like that. But then you have the prophecies. And then it's not so simple. Some are and some are not. When you get to Yeshayahu, which this week's Parsha is from Isaiah 27 and 28, they're famous but obscure. Um, and really, to do this justice, I have to do like a teacher and go pussing by pussing. I'm serious, I'm not kidding. And uh, Hebrew is very difficult and explicated. Uh, which is, not, people not used to doing that. And I'm not going to spend an hour in this, obviously. Be an hour and a half, actually. Uh, but I'll tell you what I mean. Uh, the the, the non-narrative parts, in other words, <coughs> aside from Yeshua Shoftim Shumalachim, you have the other, what we call Nebim so you have the three biggies and the twelve smallies. The three biggies are Yeshai, Yirmi, Echesko, and the smallies are Treyasar. Of of the three biggies, everybody knows um, the hardest and certainly the loftiest, the most poetic in a highly exalted aristocratic way is Yeshayahu, Isaiah. And this week is a classic example of Haftor this week of that stuff. I'm talking about in terms of the style and the language. It's very interesting. Uh, I've ever mentioned it here, the Barbanel, who gives a lot of time and thought to these issues. These are people who studied the Tanakh over and over again. You can't just say over in a Barbanel, somebody give me an opinion. You don't have a right to opinion unless you studied a thousand times like he did. You know? So, I'm serious. So, um, the Barbanel in his intro to Yermio, if I remember correctly, 
um, criticized Yermiel for having bad Hebrew, bad grammar, things like that. And he said, well, you can't compare, you know, Yeshayel to Yermiel. Yeshayel was an adult, member of the royal family, uh, highly educated, because the Gemara says, Amatz Ba'amatzia Achim Hayu. According to Chazal, it says nowhere in the book of Isaiah, but and according to the Gemara Megillah, uh, Yeshayel was a member of the royal family. He was like an uncle of Chizki or something like that. Almost a Matsu. A little more than that. It'd be great, great uncle, something like that. Anyway, so uh, somebody grew up in a palace, as you'd say. And if he was a Navi, meaning he built himself on a Madrega, then, you, as we would say today, someone has a first-class secular education as well as first-class religious education. By contrast, Yermiel was a boy when he started, Kinaranochi, and his style of Hebrew is not as good as that of Yishayot. Uh, this uh, famous observation, uh, the, the Malbim attacks um, the Abarabon on this and defends the honor of Yermiel. He says he is good. It's one of those interesting battles for those who are into that sort of thing. And uh, then you have Yecheskel, which is, again, very obscure, uh, a very different kind of style. Uh, so when you get Yishayot, you have like what we generally call the highest. And uh, Yeshayo uses a very high, highfalutin language. And this week is a good example. Now, Yeshayahu, oh, let me explain. You got to know when the people lived. Yeshayahu was a prophet who lived in the middle of the south and the end of the north. There were two kingdoms. By that time, I think you know that. The kingdom of Yehud and the king of Israel. The kingdom of the north is called the king of Israel, or perhaps the kingdom of Ephraim. That's how he speaks in this week's parsha. When he says Ephraim, it means the kingdom of the north, because most of the kings came from Ephraim, right? And um, even though Menashe is much bigger than Ephraim, but it, most of the kings came from Ephraim. And uh, the time where Yeshayo was, if you remember the book of Yeshayo, not not that you have to remember this, it says he prophesied during the time of, um, uh, who was it? Uziah, Yosam, Ochaz, and Chizkiah, those four kings, if that means anything to you. That's smack in the belly button in the middle of the kings of Judah of the south. And if he was at the time of Chizkiah, which he was, uh, according to tradition, Yishai was an old man who was killed by Chizkiah's son, Menashe. So that means Yishai was there when the north went down, when the king of the north was destroyed by Ashur. Okay? So the Assyrian Empire, Ashur, was like Pac-Man, was biting up each place in the Middle East. It's a very complicated subject. I don't want to go into it in too much detail. But suffice it to say that the Assyrian Empire was next door and was destroying uh, country after country in the Middle East, uh, carrying them off to parts unknown. And eventually, of course, they did the same, the same thing to the Jews. That's what we call the Ten Lost Tribes. Yishayot lived before, during, and after that process. So to make this clear, he's not in the north. He's in the south. He lives in Yerushalayim. He's a relative of the king. You see, he's a Navi, but the north is next door, not that far away from the south, right? How far is Shomer in the capital north? How far is Samaria from Jerusalem? Not that far. And he's living, uh, this prophecy would probably be the beginning of Chizkiah's time, or maybe better yet. Now, I would say uh, the time of Ochaz, the king before Chizkiah. The reason is because Ochaz was very wicked, and today Yeshayah is blasting the wickedness of Judah, along with the wickedness of Ephraim. Because he's blasting the, the south as well as the north. And in that context, he has the misfortune of being a Cassandra. He foresees the coming destruction, but he can't persuade the Jews to reform. Okay? But being Yeshayahu, 
He says, I see, I see, Chorban is coming. However, 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 I see that after the Chorban will come a national renaissance. It'll be like a Mashiach side type thing, right? And it's the nature of the Haftorahs that the way they were set up by the rabbis was they don't like to start on a negative and they don't like to end on negative. So, for example, today's Haftorah, since it ends on negative, so we end it, we, we throw in an extra pasuk at the end from a different chapter to make it end on a positive. You get what I'm saying? You find that often in Haftorah. It, they'll go from chapter 8 and chapter 8 ends on something bad. So the very last pasuk that we'll recite in Shul will be from chapter 25, which is something good. That's the style of the Haftorah. Because they don't want the masses who are listening, you know, to get, um, what's the expression? Depressed. Okay? Now, in the in the case we're dealing with over here, which again is complex, Yeshaya was talking about Corbin's coming and things like that. But if you just tell people, this is, you know, this is like good for a teacher also. If you just kill, tell the kids they're bad and they're losers and this and that and the other, they'll give up. You know, in a perfect school, in a perfect situation, you give somebody musr, even harsh musr, and they take it the right way, and they attempt to improve. But we know today, especially in our generation, sometimes you give somebody a musr, they say, what the heck with it, <laughs> you know? Then I give up. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously not going to be any good, and I'm heading for the korban. So, I might as well enjoy myself while I'm over here. I'm giving up. So it's a, it's a real trick, you understand? Navardic is good when it's good. But there are times when it's counterproductive. So Yeshayo is famous for, uh, you know, doing this business of, uh, uh, how does it go? Yamin Docha Small Makarva, whatever it is. They send you a, a negative message, but also it's a positive message also. So we start by saying, Haboim Yasha Shiaka, which means, then the preceding part of this prophecy, uh, he was talking about the Chorban coming, right? Uh, now, why is the Chorban coming? Well, if I'm right, and this is taking place during the reign of Ochaz, the, the wicked king of the south, then Yiddishkeit is in a bad situation throughout the 12 tribes. I repeat, throughout all the 12 tribes. And uh, there's idolatry, there's corruption, there's immorality, etc., etc. And the prophet can't do anything about it. Okay? And it's very depressing. You see? Imagine if you want a, a little bit of an example of what I'm talking about. Imagine if somebody was a rabbi 70 years ago, 80 years ago, and in one of these shoals somewhere in America. And little by little, everybody goes not from, and the kids don't care, and, uh, you know, the whole thing just falls under you. Happened a lot of times, what I'm saying. And so the rabbi could be somebody, uh, you know, Talmud Chacham, distinguished, this, that, and the other, but the whole world just dissolves under him, including his own kids, his own grandkids. And that's what the world looked like to Yishayo. However, he's a Navi, he's Ruch HaKodesh. See, he's past that as well. So having described the coming uh, Chorban, he said, but don't worry, after that will be something good. Meaning, we believe that the end of the Jews is not a Chorban, even though they may possibly deserve it. There's never a Chorban. Because Klai Yisrael has, a, has an insurance policy. It can't happen. And therefore, he says, Haboim, right? Those who come back after the Chorban, Yashar Shiakov, they'll take a root. Right? Yashresh, they'll take a root. Now, what does that mean? The Jewish people um, are in a situation where they're never rooted in Israel. Uh, by that, I mean the following. Uh, countries, uh, let me put it this way. 
Germany lost the World War II. Japan lost World War II. What happened? The Gans Germany was occupied by the Americans, the Russians, the British, and the French. The Gans Japan was occupied by the American army and the MacArthur. They were conquered people. But they survived it. You know what I mean? Ten years later, whatever, the, uh, the, 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 the occupiers left, or this, that, and the other, the people are still there. Because they're rooted in the land. Even if you lose, you're still there. But other countries, like the Jews, if they lose a war, they lose the land. Israel should lose one war to the Arabs. They kick them all out or kill them all. That's what it means. So they're not rooted. And indeed, what happened in the biblical period, as we all know, the Jews came and they were 800 years or more in the land of Israel from the time of Joshua on. But at the end, when they lost some wars, they were completely taken away from the country. So only in the future, I believe Yasha Shakov, you see, only in the future will there be uh, a, uh, a rooting in, in Yaakov. No, it's Mashiach time. Then things will be good. See, he's predicting, you know, it's a glorious future, even though it's coming after a tough past. And then he goes on to talk about this at great lengths. After all, God didn't hit... God didn't hit you, the Jews, as bad as he hit other countries. Many of the people who went after you are, de are dead now. This is something Jews always say, that we've outlived our oppressors, you know. Let me put it this way. What happened to Babel? It ain't around. What happened to Asher? It ain't around. And indeed, if you read Naftar today, he says, time will come when you look at your oppressors and all that we left is ruins, as is the case today. You understand? Amamish Imamish says this, okay? He, he, he uses these words. If you go to the Middle East today, go to Nineveh, for example, go to Babylon. You can dig these places up archaeologically. It's Ir Batsura Badab. It's left there. It's desolate now. Right? Mushlach, It's out in the desert. You walk around the palaces of Nebuchadnezzar and these kind of guys. Or if you want Moab, Ammon. Edom, you know, go to, uh, what's it called there, where the, the uh, where the tourists go, in uh, Petra, you know, what happens over there, Shum Yira Ego, now, you know, people are, places that once upon a time were palaces and big buildings, all the rest of it, animals are grazing over there, you see, so it goes on and on about that, now, uh, uh, this is all only going to be in Mashiach, well, no, not really, some of it's already happened, like I just said, but he's trying to, and this is very Isaiah-like. You give it to him hard in the kisser, but then you follow it up with a uh, comforting message afterwards. And he's basically saying, because he foresees that the faults of the Jews are going to lead to a gullus. It seems to be an irrevocable process. He's trying his best to get them to reform, but he knows that it's not going to work. This is a tough business to be a, a prophet. But he is given a vision of the future, and he's able to describe it very lofty terms. And so he's able to say, yeah, you'll be wiped out, but then you'll come back. Right? You'll come back. And he says, There'll be like a gigantic um, crushing, like we would say today, a war in the Middle East that will go, extend from Iraq to Egypt. Okay? So it knows from the Euphrates River down to Nachum Mitzrayim. Boy, this could happen today with the Iranian threat to Israel, with all these nuts running around the Middle East, the ISIS, the Shmises, the Bises, you know, 
It's my Mashiach, but Hashem, Mishabosa, Nor Nach Mitzrayim. And look what he says. Attempt to look to Lacharech of Yisrael. Right? But you, the Jews, right? One here and one there will be gathered together and sort of saved. So, this now, he's basically saying, is uh, World War Three, That there'll be some kind of go-go muggo type situation, and uh, it'll be bloody. But, in the end, a Jew here, a Jew there, they'll come back to Israel. And then he ends with the famous Pesach. No, the Jews will come back and rebuild the base of Migdash, and everything will be good. But for some reason, our Haftorah doesn't end on that. They decided to throw in the piece of the next chapter. When I say chapter, it's another prophecy. The chapters are set up by the Christians. We use them for purposes of convenience. You understand? But uh, it's not clear if they're uh, connected or not connected. The whole book of Isaiah is hundreds of these disjointed, separate prophecies. Although the argument could be made, like the Barbanel does, that they're connected. But then we go to maybe... Oh, among the most famous stuff I've heard this since I'm a kid, where Yeshayahu now gets this more to get us, where he starts blasting the uh, hedonism. What is the cause of the coming Corbin? And here we have something very, very interesting. Uh, I'll tell you what I mean. Uh, the Jews sometimes face challenges of different ideologies, shall we say. I'll give you an example. 100 years ago was a Marxism for example, right? And things like that. Uh, perhaps idolatry, possibly, could be construed as offering a different ideology, a different construction of the world. Um, this is important to realize. You know, it's easy to be a monotheist. No, it's not. It's easy to be a polytheist. If you There's so much junk that happens in the world, so much evil, that... The best explanation is there's a bunch of different gods. Is a chaos out there. You just <laughs> ran into some bad junk. Uh, a bad crud hit you. How come this person got sick and that person got this? Like the COVID now. How come this person got it? Not at all. And the other person got it. And the, and one person got it and it's light. And the other person got it and she died. You say, what, what's the shot on all that? You see? If you say it's a bunch of gods running out there. It's a chaos. It's like this. Person had bad luck. Had bad luck. It's, a, like we say, contingent. If you say there's one God running the whole show, how come the, you know, Tzadik Varola Varosho Atola? Why is there so much junk going on in the world? There's no good answer to that from a you being perspective. So, the Avodah can offer a different ideological challenge to Judaism, to monotheism. That's one type of thing. Now, listen closely. But there's a separate problem, uh, a separate challenge to Judaism. That would be what you and I today call consumerism, which is obviously the great challenge of our time. Right? I don't think we live today, in the year 2021, in an era in which there are alternative ideologies that are such a big turn-on that would get people to be not from. Okay? Like it was 100 years ago. A person running off to become a socialist, is a communist, is a this thing, a Zionist even. You know, whatever you want to say, you know, it gets some kind of program that has a specific... Uh, you know, agenda, a goal to fix the world. Today, our kids, by and large, are living in a world where there are no ideologies. Instead, it's a world of gigantic consumerism, which it turns out to be a completely different type of challenge. 
You know, I'm not sure the Mitzvah Sharm is good for that sort of thing. Uh, the kids just want everything because they throw it at you. Even the from newspapers, the Mishpacha and all that, they'll throw at you a heavy dose of consumerism. You know, all the advertisements. And so, uh, it's easy to get hooked into consumerism, whether eating, drinking, indulging in this, that, and the other. And that is something that uh, that, that presents a, uh, a kind of a challenge to Torah Judaism that's not so easy to handle. And that's exactly what Isaiah is talking about in chapter 28, when he says so famously, I remember that, by heart. Let me put out Yeshayahu. Right? He's, oh, the Ateris Yeshuka Ephraim. He's blasting, the, he's looking at the north, which is about to go down. Uh, not long after this prophecy, the north was wiped out. And he says, I can see why. Because they're drunkards, meaning, as we say today, they're uh, hedonistic, they're materialistic, they want a good life. And he, this is Gavaldic. This is like an attack on uh, alcoholism. I'm serious. You know, they got these groups now. They're defining alcoholism and other uh, addictions in the from community. You know that. This is a classic. This, this, if I was in charge of the group, this would be the logo. You understand? Because he says, I terrorize you, from. Look at the, uh, uh, what do you call it? The, the wreath, the pride of the drunkards of Ephraim, Ephraim being the north. And he describes them as, Seats Nobel Sfisuvartob, faded flower, the glorious beauty. It's a fantastic pussy. I'll tell you what I mean. Take a young person. This is sad. This is sad what I'm about to say. You have a young, healthy person gets hooked, let's say, for example, in drugs, or it could be booze, and their mom is overindulged, and they walk around, and they all of a sudden they look 10 years older, 20 years older, right? Uh, there's a famous joke from my youth. Two guys are walking on the street uh, on a park bench, and they see this old-looking guy. My goodness, he old, looks older than Methuselah. They walk over and they say, Pop, you are old, man. You're see a thousand years old. You, how do you live this long? You know, boy, do you look decrepit. And uh, you must have lived a very clean life and watched you what you ate and did a lot of exercise every day and so on and so forth. He said, no, all, all my life, I smoke, I drink, I gamble, I chase women, do all this thing. My goodness, how'd you make it so long with such a lifestyle? How old are you anyway? He said, I'm 22. <laughs> See? No, it's jaded. Jaded. That's what he says. Sweet, noble, sweet, sweet, It's a beautiful flower that's now jaded. That's worn away. He looks at the uh, aristocracy of Ephraim of the north, which was a separate kingdom, the elites, the upper classes, and they're drinking all day long, right? No, they like the party life. And, and he says, Watch out, guys, a storm is coming, meaning Ashur is coming, going to destroy everything, and you'll be like, uh, what was it, you know, the, the, the fruit over there? Uh, it's like a piece of fruit. As soon as you see it, it dissolves. When the, you'll be so corrupt that your society becomes so brittle that everybody's going to be high, and therefore, when the enemy comes, you fold like a fruit that's eaten up in a second. You understand? Now, uh, there will be survivors. Uh, there will be some people that will survive. Uh, now, I don't know what happened with that because nobody survived from the north. Although we discussed this a couple weeks ago. Maybe a few did and ran away. Right? Now, the point is, listen closely. Yeshaya is living in the south. He lived in Jerusalem. And so, these prophecies that we read are speeches that he gave. I don't know exactly in front of exactly which audience, but they're speeches that he gave. 
He gave him under prophetic uh, influence. Okay? And again, they're very high and stylized. These are my, what I'm talking about today in today's after is considered among the highest class Hebrew literature there is. Uh, Ishai is considered among the loftiest of the prophets in terms of, you know, uh, expression, language, syntax, things like that. And he is uh, speaking, therefore, in the kingdom of Yehuda and making fun of the hedonism and the indulgence and the, you know, uh, high lifestyle, materialistic lifestyle of the elites of the north. And I'm sure, as all good speakers do, he gets his audience to laugh with him. Look how bad they are over there. Look how drunk they are over there. Look how they look like faded flowers over there. But then, like a good speaker, he turns to his audience that he's speaking to, meaning in the south, in Yerushalayim, and he says, you're no better. You're, you're, you're drunk with, with wine and, and, and beer. I mean, the top leaders, Kohen, Benavi, the Kohanim, the Nevi'im, right, the people who are striving to be spiritual, they're drunk, they're stoned, as we would say today, right? They're going around messing things up all over the place. Uh, the Paku Plelia, the judges are drunk, Plelia is the courts. They're, they're drunk, and you can learn this push it. In other words, they like to go to life, and that ain't the way to Torah. You know, there's no moderation, and therefore the, the South is also corrupt, and you guys are also going to be destroyed. And he considers the priesthood to be completely corrupt because he says, When I walk in the base of Migdash, I take a look, take a look at the, uh, the Shulchan base of Migdash. Others can learn it. You know, when I walk in people's houses, people throw up all over the table. Now, if you've ever been in a, uh, a Purim party in a yeshiva, when you have young guys that uh, drink a lot and, of course, don't know what they're doing, they throw up all over the place. Is that right? You call Shulchanos Molly Kitsabali Makab. I've done it in my time. There's an old story. A guy's like this. How do you like your new son-in-law? Oh, it's terrible. Why is it terrible? He doesn't know how to smoke. He doesn't know how to drink. He doesn't know how to gamble. So what's the problem? Because he smokes and he drinks and gambles. <laughs> you see? So as they say, you have teenagers. Today, we're a little more sensitive to this. When I was young, we weren't so sensitive to this. So we used to go 13, 14 years old, go to Rebbe's house and he gets uh, roaring drunk uh, once a year. And everybody's throwing up all over the place. Well, Yeshua was talking about the same thing. So he's saying, why are you um, smiling and laughing with me when I point to the addictions of the elites in the North? You have the same thing here in the South, right? The same thing here in the South. Now, the next line is funny. It's me or Dev, it's me, Yabin Shmo, Gumma, Who's supposed to teach? Now, some people say that this is the audience uh, responding back to Ishayahu. Okay? Uh, I don't know. Uh, that's how many explain it. And they say, It's me or Dev, Who should be the, 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 the leaders over here? Uh, the, the young? And then they mock the prophet. And is it Sabla Sab, Tabla Sab, Kabla Kav, Kav Zersham, Zersham? You always have all these little nitty gritty, like you frumak. You know, you know, another mitzvah, another this, another that. Kibalagi And one day they'll speak differently. Right? And uh, therefore, the prophet uh, is really angry at them. We only get a fragment of this Haftorah. Uh, if you follow the whole Isaiah 28 to the end, he would say, 
This is what God has to say to you or making fun of me and turning everything into uh, a let's, into a joke. Right? And you say, You think you've made a, a, a treaty with death? Let me tell you something. You want to get in the kisser? No, we don't have this in the Haftarah. See? They choose to end it like on a nice note. But then we throw in a Pusik at the end of chapter 29. Now, the, I can't help but this is a complicated Haftarah. It's very cool. But in order to do justice, you'd actually have to take out and do some studying. I don't think someone listening to a podcast, generally speaking, is going to pull out a Yeshayo this week uh, and start going through the commentaries and that sort of thing. Although, I, I would advise you, seriously, today's Thursday, you know, go online or something like that, that's easy enough, and just check out uh, chapter 27, 28, Yishayo. Again, we only use for the Aftorah a fragment of 27 and a fragment of 28. That's the style of the Aftorah. And the main point is to uh, uh, make fun of, or that's not the right word, to uh, uh, condemn uh, hedonism, okay? Do we say that the Jews in Egypt were doing this? Uh, I don't know. It doesn't say so explicitly in the Pesach, although it does say, so some, it does say that the land got into them. Uh, I spoke about that last year, which sounded they got very Egyptian-like. And, uh, I mean, were the Jews in Egypt before the, 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 the slavery, were they staggering from wine and reeling from beer, the prophets? Were they befuddled with wine, as the prophet says over here, and stumbling when uh, issuing, uh, you know, when rendering legal decisions and, and so forth? Uh, was there any Yeshayo type figure among Claw Yisrael who tried to... You know, give them most over there and wouldn't listen to. Uh, we, we don't. We don't have any tradition of this, at least not that I know of. Uh, but it does. So it's a strange haftorah to connect with, with Parsha Shmos. It sounds to me in my kishkas that they have this idea that there must have been some reason the Jews were subjected to slavery. There is a Chazal that said they, more than one Chazal that said that the Jews stopped uh, being from. They stopped circumcising. There's a Rambab in the beginning of uh, Hilkos Habadazar. They said when they went to Egypt, they went for all the idols and things like that, with the exception of Shabit Levi. Uh, so perhaps this is, you know, you hear the, the echoes this in the Haftorah. Uh, but I end by saying that this is a tough one. It's very interesting if you study it uh, closely. When I was young, I used to have this uh, Shalak thing from my father. They're very focused on the Pashup shot, which is very good, but it's it's not easy to follow. Uh, uh, there are a number of... So basically, we have today, with this I conclude, Torah, which is talking about a fundamental uh, societal issues which do not go away. After all, we today are struggling with addictions. Uh, we today are struggling with... Uh, I don't want to use the word hedonism exactly, but from hedonism, I think. We're very much in a period of from hedonism. Uh, and I, I'll just use two words, and that says everything. Pesach Hotel. Take it away from there. Now, um, uh, the different message strikes us somewhat differently than it did once upon a time, but fundamentally it's there. And it leaves us with a very interesting question. What was the state of the Jewish people at the time they became slaves in Egypt? Like, you know, from where they are now, from where they 
how exactly did it happen that, you know, the grandchildren of Yosef and Yaakov, you know, went off the derech. But I've always said, uh, you do not find, at least that I know of, a rich family, I mean a rich family, that says Jewish, like five generations. I can't think of one. I'm, I could be wrong, you know. But anyone I think of, by the time you get to the fifth generation, it's not that they're not from anymore, they're not Jewish anymore, you see? And that shows you um, how uh, consumerism and uh, indulgence is doesn't seem to be such a threat, just like a little uh, you know thing on the side, but it's, it's, it's kind of really dangerous. It's, it's a hard one to handle. Uh, and I don't think today in our society we have a solution for that. You, know, you can't get up and just give some uh, Musa schmooze about it. It's a, it's a, it's kind of interesting. Uh, in order to fight hedonism, you need philosophy. Uh, we're not into philosophy in our uh, communities. It's a, it's a very interesting kind of subject. So if you're, if you're interested, I just said take a look at Ishayo yourself before Shabbos, and then you'll get something out of the Haftarah. With that, I wish you a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.